0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Changing Conversations with me, Billy Burke and me, Sarah Philp. We're really glad you've joined us on this podcast. This podcast is all about changing conversations. Conversation is one of the oldest ways to nurture the conditions for growth and improvement. We come alive when we talk about what's important to us, and it's this that has the potential to guide us into new and different ways of being and offer the potential for great things. In this podcast, we want to explore the big questions and the small questions. It's a place for thinking and conversations that hold the potential for change. You will hear from us as well as some of our guests. We would love to hear from you and for you to get involved. You can also follow us on Twitter at Changing Conversations. In this episode, I chat with Michael Anderson, who is over in Sydney, and we chat about his work with schools around transformation. He shares what he's learned from working with schools and teachers over the years, and how this has helped him to better understand transformation in schools and in education more broadly. And as with many of our conversations, the key seems to be when educators collaborate and ask good questions. Um, what Michael and his colleagues do in their most recent book, Transforming Education, is bring all of that learning and insight in together in a way that helps us to bring transformation into reality so that it's not just what they call an aerosol word. Um, and I suspect after listening to this, many of us will be reflecting on the many aerosol words that we come across. Michael, thank you for. Agreeing to join us or join me, actually, on uh, changing conversations. And thank you for getting up early, um, so we can have the conversation across the time zones because you're in you're in Sydney.
1: I'm in Sydney, and thanks for having me, Sarah. It's uh, great to have an opportunity to talk about this work.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. We're um, I'm excited to have a chat with you and to unpick a bit more about your work. Um, so let's start there. Tell us. Tell us a little bit more about you and what you do and I guess what drives your your work, what's your passion?
1: So uh, I started out life, as many of us have, as uh, a teacher, classroom teacher, or as a drama teacher mm-hmm. in, a, in schools in New South Wales. And uh, one thing led to another. I wound my way through working in the bureaucracy and then uh, at a university did a PhD And then, I suppose, uh, a bit of a a life changing or kind of moment happened, I suppose, about eight years ago when a PhD student who I'd worked with, uh, and I'd worked with her for 20 years or so, Mm -hmm. uh, I caught up with her and I said, oh, what are you up to Miranda? And she said, oh, I'm doing this uh, really exciting work in a school. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I should come out and have a look at that work and, you know, um, see what's going on, you know, because when she said something was exciting, you kind of wanted (laughs) to believe her. So I went out and what I saw was something that I'd never really seen before, which is a school that was working around transformative kind of practice and towards transformative practice in a really systematic, thoughtful, engaging way. And to give you an example of what that looked like, mm. uh, all of Year Nine were in the, were being taught in the same room. Mm-hmm. Now that for anyone who's taught Year Nine, that sounds like an absolute nightmare. Mm-hmm. But actually, uh, it had they had a team of teachers in there, and those teachers were supporting uh, the the different groups that were working. And there were some groups doing kind of peer based work. There were other groups doing kind of more traditional teacher um, directed work. There were other students who were getting one-on-one support. Mm-hmm. And what I glimpsed there was, I think, what we've tried to think about and tried to codify in our books. So, uh, you know, after I saw that, I said to her, "Oh, look, we've got to write a book about this typical academic response, <laughs> not let's do something about it, let's write a book about it. Yeah. Uh, And so we wrote Transforming Schools in 2017. And Mm -hmm. then kind of a peculiar thing happened. It's probably not peculiar in hindsight, but it seemed peculiar at the time, which was a lot of schools came to us and said, well, you know, it's all very well to write a book about this stuff. How Mm -hmm. do you actually help us do it? Mm -hmm. You know, what's that what's that look like? And so we took the decision to kind of start an organisation that worked with schools on transformation on transformation practice and changing the things uh, that that were kind of the the central tenets of schooling, thinking about how we don't just reform, how we transform. And we might talk about that a bit later as well. But really looking at how you can make substantive and deep changes to what you're doing as a school to make them actually relevant for the 21st century rather than the 19th century Mm -hmm. and so Miranda and I then uh, wrote transforming organizations which is an attempt to think about how we do transformation based on the work that we've done in education Mm -hmm. and then uh, just recently we've we've um, put out a book called transforming education which is we think a really deep dive into the kind of structural uh, elements of schooling curriculum pedagogy values teacher education and how we can transform those areas and make them fit for purpose
0: yeah fascinating so what what would you say drives drives you personally what's at the the heart of your work
1: i think a kind of a conviction that our schools aren't actually doing as well as they possibly could be for their students Mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is there's a lot of uh, practices and I don't I I must be clear about this I don't blame teachers or school leaders for this Mm -hmm. I blame the way the system has kind of become politicized for this and it. In every school, in any school, you will find really dedicated, really thoughtful, really engaged teachers and leaders. And I think what we need to do is harness that passion and Mm -hmm. harness that ability and that human resource, to use the terrible term, Mm -hmm. uh, and actually refocus it on the needs of students. You know, the OECD and UNESCO are putting out report after report after report that are saying that actually schools aren't fit for uh, the labour market. They're not fit for what young people will need in the 21st Mm -hmm. century and beyond. So how do we, the the big idea and the big thing that drives me is how do we change that? How do we kind of reorient the ship? You know, Mm -hmm. education is a very hard area to transform. So how do we turn it around? How do we how do we make it kind of effective and um, uh, and and work for that that kid in Year Nine who needs yeah. it to work for them, so that they'll be able to engage beyond what they're doing at the moment?
0: Yeah, I I think you hit the nail on the head there. That you know education is a really big thing that's hard to change. <laughs> and um... it,
1: yeah. Oh, look, absolutely, and. I think that's never more apparent than when you're working with each individual school on that mm-hmm. transformation. So, to give you some idea, we're now in seventy schools across Australia working with schools mm-hmm. uh, relationally uh, and facilitating this kind of through a partnership approach. Yeah. But I think, I think it's the it can be so overwhelming to think about it uh, as such a big big issue. Mm-hmm. I think what you've got to do is actually work from a school base, work from the grassroots. Um, mm-hmm. And when you do work from the grassroots, what you find, I think, mm-hmm. is that you can actually start to make changes that relate to the communities that you're working in and start to, to make real progress. So yeah, they, I, I think even though it is an overwhelming challenge in some ways, it's far less overwhelming when you're working on an individual school basis and they're provided with the resources, the support, uh, and sometimes the provocation they need to change what they're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, You mentioned your new book um, just a few moments ago, The Transforming Education, and the foreword describes education as an infinite game, which um, I know comes from the work of Simon Sinek, who... Um, I love all of his books and I particularly enjoyed the 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 infinite game Um I think I said finite I meant infinite there <laughs> Um tell us a bit more about that tell us a bit more about that idea that education is an infinite game um, and I guess how that shapes and directs the work that you do with schools and beyond schools
1: so cynics work actually comes you're probably aware from James P cars who was a, a kind of a religious scholar um, and and his work is uh, is is slightly hard to decode so cynics done us a great service by mm-hmm. kind of decoding it a little yeah. but the idea of uh, the infinite game uh, I think applies beautifully to school so the, the 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 general idea for those who don't know about it is We've got in in the world a series of uh, to use the metaphor finite and infinite games. So finite games we know pretty well, you know, uh, football and uh, cricket and mm-hmm. tennis. Everybody knows the rules. There's a winner or a loser, uh, yeah. unless it's cricket where you can get a draw <laughs> after five days. But there you go. Um, but but there are rules, and and okay. the idea is to win. You've got to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course there's infinite games and. The, The idea of infinite games uh, is not to achieve a win or a loss. It's just to keep everybody engaged at as high a level as possible Mm -hmm. throughout the whole process. And I think what we've seen in the last 10, 15, 20 years internationally is the finite game replacing the infinite game. So we've seen kind of league tables and test scores and kind of winners and losers mm-hmm. all through the education system. Now, the problem is when the finite game overcomes the infinite game, and the infinite game in education is keeping everyone engaged at the highest level all the time, We the, the system gets uh, pushed out of shape. Mm-hmm. And so while i would never argue that assessment should be removed or even testing should be removed there's a place for both of those they must always serve the infinite game so they we must always be asking the question how does education keep everyone engaged at the highest possible level for the longest possible time so they might be so that we might be able to use education as a way to lift people out of poverty to support people into work and into relationships, and all of the kinds of things that education was always meant to be. Uh, so, I think Cinex done us a, a real kind of service by by building an understanding of how how we can start to discuss these things. Yeah. And to my mind, education is kind of the perfect uh, perfect way to describe the infinite game, because yeah. most of us who went into education aren't, weren't after, you know, supporting kids to win, we were after getting every child, giving every child the opportunity to really excel in everything they did. Mm-hmm. And so that that's really kind of where that where I think that that's it. And that's what drives us in our work, so that we can kind of help schools kind of glimpse what's possible once you remove yourself from the shackles of a a finite only type game
0: Mm -hmm. and I guess that's just not always that easy Um, as you say it's kind of become a finite game in some ways or some of the systems and processes have that finite element to it um and I guess there's a there's a courage or a braveness or a to you know resilience that you need to be able to kind of break free of that perhaps
1: yeah i we would talk about it as vision uh, and i think we talk about it as vision and capability mm-hmm. so the leaders we work with we only go into a school if a leader obviously kind of engages with the kinds yeah. of work that uh, the, that we do and it takes that that leader to see beyond the finite game to actually, and I'll go back to what I said earlier, which was a lot of leaders in schools didn't go in to do kind of compliance work and, yeah. you know, and kind of testing regimes. They actually went in to make a difference. And I think it's our work really speaks to the make a difference kind of people yeah. that actually have become frustrated with the way they've kind of got themselves on a hamster wheel of compliance and testing etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. I'll give you an example I which is kind of a negative example I went into a, a school and I did a, a talk about transformation and etc mm-hmm. cetera, etc cetera. and the principal came up to me afterwards and he said uh, well look that was that was great and I'm really interested in what you're saying about deep learning but we don't actually have uh, we don't have time for deep learning we've got to get our test scores up Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of had one of those twilight zone moments mm-hmm. where I thought, you know, what what's just happened here? We're we're talking about mm-hmm. a school, and the the bottom line was they weren't interested in learning because they had to get their test scores up. Mm-hmm. Now, that that's the kind of perfect example of where the the outcomes have overcome the the learning, and mm-hmm. and for me, I think. Uh, is a good example of why we do what we do, because actually it does take someone who can glimpse something more engaging, more exciting. It does take someone who can say, yes, we need to move beyond this kind of uh, preoccupation with with metrics uh, mm-hmm. that we, we have to think about student learning first. Mm-hmm. So uh, it does take courage, but it also takes capability. Uh, to it takes grit and it takes focus you know all the things that we want to uh, kind of create for our students it takes those kinds of qualities as well uh, when we're thinking about how we support our students to do that but how we actually engage our leaders and our teachers as well
0: yeah and so the skills that you've worked with were um I don't know. There's been. I don't know if the question is the biggest transformation or the most successful transformation or transformation of any kind. I don't want to sort of pigeonhole it, but from the work you've done with schools, what what else have you learned about the conditions that enable that kind of trans- transformation?
1: So uh, we talk about the the story and the journey, which is the <laughs> kind of the the way that we can uh, think about uh, creating transformation or or partnering with schools to create transformation. And what I mean by that is the story has to be really clear. What, why are you transforming? You know, what's, what's the need, um, and, and think and, and schools who have a really strong story about transformation and why they need to transform, uh, that's a starting point. Yeah. And then it's the journey. And transformation, as we've kind of alluded to, is a journey. It's got its hills and its peaks. Like there's, in the first kind of six months, there's a lot of quick wins. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of kind of joy. And then after that, it gets tough. And yeah. uh, we, we talk about the transformation tangle in transforming schools, which is You know, you have to undo the knots and you have to untangle things and you have to deal with difficulties, Uh, difficulties from staff, difficulties from parents, difficulties from systems. But then if you go back to the story and the story is really clear, that kind of helps with the journey. So where we see kind of strong transformation, it's a committed leader with a strong story and an understanding that it's a journey rather than a kind of trip down the shops mm-hmm. uh, where we see it kind of not work so well is where the the school doesn't take responsibility for that story and that journey and just kind of um, says oh well you guys do it well mm-hmm. we can't actually do anything unless the school's engaging with the with the work that we want to kind of support them in so mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah what's been your your biggest learning through this process then?
1: Uh, Look, I think that schools are complex, and this won't be any surprise to anyone who works in a school. Schools are incredibly complex places, uh, and that in complexity we need to provide structures for people to navigate complexity. And so uh, in our work we've built what we call coherence makers, which make coherence of of the kind of aerosol words that we hear Mm -hmm. kind of sprayed around and what I mean by aerosol words is we talk about creativity for instance and we spray around creativity um, and it smells fabulous but when you try and grab it it's not there Mm. um and we've got got frameworks to to not only explain creativity for instance but to support it being pedagogically uh implemented so so the the what I, I think my biggest learning has been that you can't just say stuff. I think there's a lot of educational kind of gurus around the place who would be you know as comfortable um, in a kind of talking to a tire factory or a you know mm. a, an accounting firm as they would in education. You actually have to if you're going to say transformations required, you have to actually do the how mm. uh, as well as the why. And yeah. the how actually is as critical, and that that's the hard work. It's really easy, uh, not really easy, but it's relatively easy to make a case for the why. It's the how, which is really, really tricky. And that's, mm-hmm. that's in a sense why this work is completely situated in schools, uh, because it's about the everyday of the how, and that's how we learn how to do the how with schools on kind of on that transformation trajectory.
0: Mhm. Yeah. I think that's so true. It is easy, so much easier to find the why and describe the why, but the how is always the much messier part.
1: Um yeah, so yeah. messy. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: and and it's it's differently messy, um Sarah, it's it's, yeah. it's 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 messy. It's differently messy in every place, and that's why yeah. You know, we we see these broad scale, silver bullet responses in education, which hardly ever work because yeah. they don't take sufficient account of the contextual factors which make the messiness dif- different. Uh, and that's why I think we've our attempts to kind of uh, improve or education, mm-hmm. you know, school improvement movement has really just kind of perfected a steam train in a way, because mm-hmm. the the it which is fine, you know, you might want to do what you're doing better, but if you need whole scale change, and I'd argue that we do, yeah, actually you you need to use another paradigm to shift those things, shift those big structural factors and to, to help each school in their messiness, you need kind of a fairly kind of uh intensive support system around them.
0: Yeah. I love messy. I'm, I'm all for messy. I quite enjoy messy.
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's the human condition, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the human condition is messy. Yeah. Uh, and I think if we, the, the problem is we, when systems devise change, they often think of, they don't think of the messiness. Mm-hmm. They don't think of the variables. Um, and the <laughs> schools are jam-packed with variables. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's the joy of them often, yeah. actually. Yeah. Uh, and that's the challenge uh, in the work. So, yeah, I, I, I think the messiness is is the excitement of the work, but it's also
0: the challenge. Yeah, yes. Um, I imagine many of the people listening just now were thinking of all the aerosol words that they, they hear on a regular basis. <laughs> I think that's a very that's a very good dis- description, a very visual and um, almost tactile <laughs> description of aerosol words. Um, the idea that they can smell great, but actually you can't kind of catch them. Um, yeah. I'm sure of all
1: yeah. that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, I, as I'm saying that I'm thinking of the aerosol words I've sprayed around as well. You know, there's been a... a but I suppose the work of the books and the work of the transformation in yeah. schools, is attempting to capture the essence of them and you know creativity is a classic one i know i've mentioned it but it's the problem with aerosol words is that if if you just let them stay in the ether they they don't actually uh, they can't be active and useful uh in the ways that we need them to be Mm -hmm. so We know from a lot of the research that creativity is going to be absolutely crucial for young people Mm -hmm. uh, in in the jobs that they go into, and not only that, in their lives and the way they uh, live a full and thriving life. And yet um, we don't really have a good handle on what that might mean or how that might be taught. And so it's not only a problem because it's kind of irritating that there's all these words sprayed around it's it's also a problem because if if we can't we are disinheriting our young people of these capacities if we don't teach them effectively mm-hmm. the creativity collaboration communication critical reflection these are the the ways that you can survive and thrive in the world
0: mm-hmm. and
1: if if they're not taught in a way where students can understand them and put them into action then that's a that's a problem for for how we live in community and how we how how our young people kind of have a- access to the infinite games that they need to have access to. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think it's it's more than a problem that that it's irritating. It's a problem that it's it's kind of disinherits our young people from what they need to do what they need to do in their lives.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um. I guess one of the other kind of aerosol words or the words that that gets thrown around a lot in education is around reform and um you know it's often described as reform comes in waves there's always come one coming or one going um but I suppose it's the question of does does it does it work does it make a difference um and there's reform coming in Scotland as there probably always will be but it's being talked about a lot at the moment um And I guess I'm just interested from your perspective on the work around transformation and how to get that change. What what could we learn as a, as a system? Um, Yeah.
1: I I mean, I think, I think there's um, reform and transformation are really, uh, are those kinds of words, aren't they? They're the Mm -hmm. kind of aerosol words. And I suppose for me, it's, it's doing a few things. It's, not relying on uh, the silver bullet solutions that we talked about and we talk about Mm -hmm. in our latest book uh, quite a lot. Um, It's not relying on those. It's actually looking for true reform, which is context aware. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's also uh, reform or transformation or whatever has to be relational so you have to take account of relationships when you're building this. So mm. I think just to bolt on a solution everywhere is really problematic. You know, I, when I'm looking at reform systems all over the world, what I think about and what I look at is how effectively are they taking account of relationships? Have they got relationships that are going to enable this to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it that potentially the most important Uh, criteria that I apply when I'm thinking about reforms is does this think about the learner first so is this looking at each student and what will change for them uh and then are there sufficient developed robust frameworks like we talk about uh the the coherence makers but are there is there enough support for teachers to do what they need to do yeah um and I think we're in a we're in a world now where reform will never stop. Mm. And that's probably a good thing because the world changes and education needs to change with it. But I think uh, if we're not not kind of engaging in a way that is relational, if we're not engaging in a way that uh, thinks about the kind of learner-first approach and doesn't provide sufficient frameworks, we're going to be doing what we've always done, which is kind of rolling these things out. They they kind of go on for two or three years and everyone looks at each other and says, oh, why didn't that work? It's because, you know, the the context is often forgotten and the relationships are often forgotten. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, I, I, I think we need to be, again, thinking about a, a way to do transformation, which is not just for the first six months, which is kind of looks to the long term
0: yeah yeah we spoke with michael fullan a few um Mm. a few months ago now feels like weeks but it's probably months ago Um, and he was Mm. talking about you know think about think about the the next 10 years as being your your time for that transformation you know it's not going to happen in six months but equally you can't leave it longer than that you kind of need to have enough focus for it um yeah um, yeah
1: and i think i think that's right like there, there's got to be something that's happening now like this mm-hmm. uh, but but you've got to think about what the what the journey is you know mm-hmm. and uh, working in this area for five years now we we know what the journey looks like yeah. um and of course the journey is not the same for every school but we mm-hmm. there's rarely a, a situation now that um we haven't seen because the while schools are contextually different there's a paradox which is there's a lot that's the same as well mm-hmm. you know there, there's there's yeah. a lot of factors that you can say this is going to be an issue for you in six months mm-hmm. um, and so really kind of engaging with that is yeah. is is critical I think yeah. so yeah I I, I think a, a reform that takes, takes kind of um, takes account of the present, but is kind of future focused. Is the kind of transformation we need really?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so that's where yeah, I'd agree with Michael on that.
0: Mm-hmm. And can you say a bit more about the relational part? Because I think we can often say, well, we've consulted, for example, we've talked to people, um, but is that really taking account of relationships and taking a relational approach?
1: Well, in the learning disposition wheel, which is the uh, the way we start to think about learning in a school, we talk about intrapersonal and interpersonal as being so. There's three areas: cognitive, intrapersonal, and interpersonal. Yeah, uh, and it's got got nine kind of capabilities within that disposition wheel, uh, and schools use that as a way to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I suppose at kind of a, on a first principle level, you need to take account of all of that, not only when you're teaching kids, but actually when you're working with schools. And so, rather than consultation, we're actually working alongside people mm-hmm. to make this work happen. So it's I would say it's 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 not just going in and saying, "Oh, what do you guys think?" It's going in and saying, "How are we going to do this together?" Because mm-hmm. uh, School's actually, this is the issue with consultation, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, It it presumes that something will be done to you, not with you. Yeah. Uh, And when you're working with a school in a four C's approach, it's always done with you. It's always collaborative. It's always based on communication and critical reflection Mm -hmm. and creativity. And so, in a sense, consultation uh, It if we said oh we'd consulted that mm. would be kind of a, a very low level way to engage yeah. with people. It, we'd co-created is what we'd want to we'd want to know and we'd want to do because if context matters then co-creation matters then you know collaboration matters all of those things are going to be crucial in you having a transformation and, an effective way to transform uh, mm. in your school so, the, the four C's are actually not only what we talk about, but what we attempt to do in every school.
0: Yeah. And collaboration is a is a probably another one of those words that, again, we can use quite a lot, but it doesn't just mean putting people in a room and having a conversation. Collaboration is yeah. so much more than that and needs structures and systems and processes and frameworks or things to kind of support it as well.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, the classic thing that happens in many of the schools we go into is we, we sit the executive down, you know, nine or ten people, and we say, oh, are you collaborating? And they say, yeah, oh, yeah, we collaborate a lot. And we say, yeah. okay, is it cooperation or is it collaboration? And they say, mm-hmm. well, what's the difference? And I, we say, well, if a policeman or a police officer pulls me over and, um, and books me, I can, I can cooperate with that police yeah. officer doesn't mean I'm collaborating with them. And yeah. I think we find that in schools all the time, people yeah. kind of just put up with each other, they cooperate with each other.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: uh, as Vera John Steiner calls it, it's not a shared affair of the mind, like it's not a this kind of exciting, you know, or me high talks about flow, where everyone's yeah. in flow. And it's amazing. Now, we don't always have that in collaboration. But it is possible. And the schools uh, that we see where people are becoming more excited about doing the job they're doing. We see real true collaboration going on. And we've got a, you'll be glad to know, we've got a framework for collaboration to try and help uh, teachers understand and support that in their classroom, but also for schools to support that in their processes as well. And that it's all based on kind of respecting people's agency uh, and supporting people's agency. Uh, and, and once you start to do that, you find great things start to happen in schools.
0: Yeah, and you get that buzz, that sense of excitement. That, and, and energy comes with it, I think, doesn't it? You know, we, we are, our feelings and our energies are contagious, and when we get the, the good kind in, it feeds off one another.
1: Yeah, and we, aren't, we never work with whole schools first. We always work with the, what we call the willing and the able, Mm -hmm. Um, so you know if if you go into a school and you say right we're changing everything now of course people are going to get their backs up and get irritated but the going back to the co-creation idea Mm -hmm. that respects people's agency and it 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 taps back into what people have been talking about for many years which is uh, the idea that if you can reconnect people with their first love in education which is actually making a difference helping kids to learn yeah. uh, and sh- and then providing them with frameworks to do that that's going to be infectious that's going to create energy yeah. we've had teachers who were going to retire mm. who said no I'm not going to retire now because <laughs> I'm, I'm having the best years of my career because I've just been I've kind of be I've I've just had this awakening to what's possible yeah. in my classroom now. Of course, that's not everyone we work with, but we're hearing those stories more and more as people kind of engage with this work because it it's it is energizing. It's exciting. It, it changes what's possible in schools.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I get that sense of energy coming from you as well when you when you talk about it. <laughs> um
1: even at 7 30 in the morning there even you at
0: 7 30 in the morning that's quite <laughs> impressive <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that's come up in um quite a few of our conversations as, over the time that we've been doing the podcast has been around this idea that covid the pandemic has kind of opened the door to the possibility of something better that there could be different ways and better ways of doing what we do and we could make more of a difference than the difference we have been making but at the same time now there's a kind of it's been a long time <laughs> there's a strong wind blowing against that door people are are tired things are still not straightforward and easy in in schools and there's that pull back to what was familiar and and comfortable in the sense that it was familiar um how do we make the most of this door being ajar and still open? I <laughs> do we keep it open? Yeah.
1: I, I mean, I've, I've been looking at a little bit of the research and the commentary around the great resignation, you know, that yeah. idea that there are people leaving their jobs. And I think it's probably overhyped in many instances. Mm. But um, I, I think for me that's kind of analogous to what's going on in schools because people are leaving things they're not finding satisfying to go and do satisfying things. And I suppose COVID has given us a moment to reflect on why we're doing what we're doing. You know, why, why are we doing the things we do in schools and I'm hoping, and I think we're seeing evidence of this in schools in New South Wales and in Australia generally. I, I'm hoping that what we actually find uh, is that people go, yeah, we're, there's a whole lot of stuff we're doing that it isn't actually uh, creating deep learning for our students. No. It's not student-centred. Uh, and people are kind of waking up to there could be something different and there mm-hmm. could be something better. And, you know, so that's happening in the Great Resignation, allegedly, uh, for individual people. But I think it's happening also an organisational level that people are uh, are reflecting on what they're doing and thinking about how they might do it differently. Yeah. And it, it, it takes us back to the infinite game, you know, the, that how are we going to make an infinite game from this huge disruption that's occurred, uh, and kind of disjointed the world? How could we actually do education in a way which makes students lives better and teachers lives better and leaders lives better Mm -hmm. and and i think that's what covid may have gifted us apart from all the misery the pain and the destruction Mm -hmm. that it's it's wrought it Mm -hmm. may have given us the opportunity to rethink what we're doing and if it has done that well at least that's one silver lining from an otherwise terrible storm Mm
0: -hmm. i was i was reading an article. Just the other day about it was to do with the great resignation um but it was actually talking about people coming back it was talking about the like the boomerangers or something i think it called them saying that um yeah. there was there was a lot of people who who left but are now making their way back into employment and into organizations and the thing that's pulling them back and the, the thing that's reconnecting them with organizations that they perhaps left is is where there was a that human connection and that human response and that relational response to them to them leaving and what they wanted and it's actually that that's kind of reconnecting them and bringing them back again which i thought was quite quite interesting
1: yeah i, I mean i go back to the kind of uh, the work of desi and ryan self-determination theory which i'm sure you're aware of that that there's three three factors that help us uh, survive and thrive as humans. Yeah. There's autonomy, relatedness, and competence. And yeah. if you think about the organisations who are doing those things, I think they're the kind of organisations where people are coming back, yeah. that where those relationships are, are possible uh, and engaging, uh, where there's kind of agency in what people are doing or autonomy, and where people have the chance to really be good at something. Yeah. And the schools that we're working with that are thriving out of the pandemic have said okay this is this is not a chance to go backwards back to the steam engine this mm. is a chance to reimagine what we can do you know people say transformation is really hard in education and it is but we did it over a weekend in many <laughs> parts of the world Yeah, that's you know, true. We, transform, we, we transformed over a weekend and so you know uh, it's it's much harder without a disruption of the kind COVID brought us, but it is possible and mm-hmm. it is achievable. It's just we have to have the will to make it so. And in the seventy or so schools we're working with, there is the will to make it so. So, mm-hmm. and that's what makes the difference.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, before we before we finish up, I need to ask you about autonomy and agency because it's something again <laughs> gets talked a lot about in in scotland and there's a i'm trying to pick my words carefully now um but i, I guess a push towards our desire towards an empowered system so we talk a lot about teacher agency and we talk a lot about empowerment Um, And I wonder if we talk a lot about it and I wonder how much of it we're actually achieving. So you've mentioned agency and empowerment and agency and autonomy rather a few times. Can you say a bit more about how that fits in the work that you do and how that's enabled?
1: Yeah. I think there's a huge misconception about what agency is actually. And um, it's that agency means I can do whatever I want. And the, the problem with that is that doesn't respect your agency. If I just go ahead and do whatever I want, so mm-hmm. the the term that that that's used is co-agency. Uh, mm-hmm. Now my my argument is actually agency should be co-agency. So so and what what I mean by that is I I need to be able to express my agency and have a a decision making space that also respects yours and enables your agency. So so. When we're thinking about uh, how we assess young people uh, in in this work and how we support their learning, we're we're thinking about agency. So, are they able to take agency and understand that they have choices and use those choices if mm-hmm. the environment allows that? But to what extent are they providing space for other students to create agency mm-hmm. uh, in their own lives, and how are they enabling that? So, on one level that's important for student learning, but on a whole other level, it's going to be critical for uh, students to, uh, for schools to do the same thing. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we look at schools and we say, so to what extent do teachers have choices about what they're doing? To -hmm. what extent do they have the ability to create choices for others in the school community? Uh, And the same is true of leaders. And often when we dig really deep into that, they say, oh, well, the system's stopping us. And actually, the system uh, isn't as often pernicious as people think. It's just people have become institutionalized. Mm. And when they understand that they can remove those barriers and take agency and enable agency, uh, it can be a really powerful thing for school transformation because people open up to the possibilities that they kind of thought weren't possible so yeah yeah, i i I think it's key actually to making a difference in this in this work uh and and again it's a bit of an aerosol word but when you can actually support it with a, a a framework and an understanding of it uh then i think you can really see change in schools
0: yeah yeah and um And if you had a magic wand and could wave that magic wand and change something or do something, what would it, what would it be in education?
1: Uh, You know, it's a great question. I suppose uh, I would wave a wand, which gave schools more autonomy Mm. and more decision-making space. And Put educators back in decision-making spaces rather than politicians. Mm. I think we get, get terrible policy when non-expert leaders mm-hmm. make make choices that aren't engaging with educators. And so, mm. I, I would give educators back the the decision decision-making yeah. uh, opportunities in education. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd do with my wand, and then mm-hmm. uh, I think what you'd see uh, is more infinite game work going on, because educators, as you know, they don't they don't go in into it for an easy life, they go into it for a meaningful life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we'd we'd see a lot more meaning in our schools if we gave educators the opportunity to make the decisions around their students and around themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh, good talk talk all night all morning for you um (laughs) thank you for um well just for sharing transformation in a way that makes it a lot more tangible i think and gives people hooks and things that they can use to unpick what transformation could be and how we could would we could create it um either within our schools or within our within our system it's been really insightful
1: Mm. pleasure pleasure
0: Um, before you go, we have three questions that we finished all our conversations with. So the first one is, um, growing up, what did you want to be?
1: Uh, the best response I've ever heard to this is uh, a log on my grandfather's farm, I, but that's not mine, <laughs> tragically. <laughs> um, I, I actually uh, wanted to be a film director and a theatre mm-hmm. director. I love theatre and film and mm-hmm. always wanted to be that. Um, so uh, it's kind of one of those things that I would have loved to do but, you know, um, in a sense uh, there's such creativity in the work I'm doing at the moment it's Mm -hmm. kind of analogous in some ways so, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I would have loved to do
0: Yeah, always fascinates me that question because very rarely do we have doubles of anything so it's always interesting to see where people
1: Yeah, Does does anyone ever do what they thought they'd do?
0: Um, there's been a few people that have said teacher, but there's been all sorts of other things, all sorts of other yeah. things along the way. Um, but yeah, 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 always interesting. Um, yeah. And other than writing books, what are you reading at the moment?
1: Uh, I'm reading uh, a thing called Ex- Exponential by Azim Azhar. So oh. one of the things I do is listen to a lot of podcasts, and Azim Azhar has got a podcast called The Exponential View, where he he talks about exponentialities in uh, the world. So, you know, big computing, uh, genetics, etc, etc. And I find that that kind of fascinating, because what it gives me the opportunity to do is to think about how exponential growth might be, or exponential change might impact what happens in education. Mm. Uh, So I tend to read and think about these kind of mega shifts going on and Mm -hmm. that's been kind of great for me understanding the uh some of the changes that uh potentially could happen in the next 10-15 years which then feed into the kind of writing that I do and I think about as well so yeah Mm. sounds
0: um intriguing sounds intriguing Mm. and do you have a quote or a message that you would like to leave our listeners with
1: yeah, look, I've got a quote um, from Di Smith, who's a, who's a Welsh uh, educator, uh, arts administrator who was involved in the Welsh curriculum mm-hmm. uh, reforms, uh, which, which brought kind of creativity to the centre of uh, Welsh curriculum. And he says, if we ask who then should benefit from the wealth of possibilities arts education could bring, the answer is a trumpet call, the dispossessed and the marginalised for whom it is an exit from powerlessness and an entrance to the interchange of citizenship. Now, he's talking there about arts education, but it could be any kind of education. Mm-hmm. I, we we forget about education to our peril as a society, I think. If, mm-hmm. if we kind of leave to one side the possibilities of education, what we're allowing is is the kind of uh, deterioration of democracy itself. And I know that sounds hyperbolic, but actually uh, students understanding the world and how to navigate it is mm-hmm. some, one of the things education does. And if we don't do that well enough, we allow people to be dispossessed. We allow people to sit on the fringes of society. So mm-hmm. I think we need to take transformation Uh, really seriously, because Mm -hmm. if we don't get education right for this generation of students, uh, our whole society and our communities will suffer. So, And on the upside, if we do take it seriously, Mm -hmm. we'll see, I think, an amazing kind of uh, response to some of the challenges we face and some of the opportunities we face in our communities. So, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: Thank you. And thank you for helping us tonight to think about transformation and how we can catch a hold of it and do something positive with it
1: my pleasure
0: thank you for listening folks we really value you taking the time and space to join us and we hope that you take something positive from it we'd love to hear your reflections so please get involved via twitter or contact us directly by email. Thanks again, stay safe and take good care.